Welcome back. We're here again. Still doing intros. Still pacing around my room. Anyway, today's episode is with Max Kaplan. Max is an independent writer, director, filmmaker, and somebody who has quite a wide array of experience. For somebody who is only just about to graduate film school, I was very impressed with his experience and his knowledge and thoughts, not just in the media production world, but into his insight into creativity as a whole. This was a really great conversation, and we got into the weeds of a lot of the weird esoteric parts of creativity that I love to dig into with people. In this episode, we talk about Max's beginnings into making films and how he how he got into the world of filmmaking at 11 years old and how he's basically been doing it ever since. We talk about how he captures and works with ideas and how he tries to find the thread amongst the chaos to follow in order to create the things that he's coming up with. And, um, and we also talk about social media and releasing work and, and how that ties into his current film thesis project. If you're listening to this around the time that this drops, go ahead and check out the link to the Indiegogo to support his, his film called Looker. And be sure to check out the links in the description for ways to follow Max, links for anything that we talked about in the podcast. And yeah, you know the drill at this point. Without further ado, my conversation with Max Kaplan. All right. Yeah. I mean, I guess we're we're good. We're rolling. We're cooking. Uh, Max, welcome. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Thanks for coming out. Thanks for meeting up. Yeah. I guess just to kick it off, like, if you want to uh, kind of introduce yourself for the listeners, who you are, what you do, that kind of thing. Sure. My name is Max Kaplan. I'm an independent writer and director, documentarian from Dayton, Ohio. I currently live in Athens, Ohio. I go to Ohio University School of Film. I am about to graduate this coming spring, so I'm gearing up for my thesis film. I've been making movies since I was about 11 when iPod 3 came out. And so at this point, I've been doing, I've been making films longer than I haven't. It's a huge part of my life, and I'm really excited to talk about about it with you today. Awesome, awesome. I want to get into, we will go back, I want to ask kind of how you got into it. Like, I guess to kick it off, in, in the words of Tom Segura's mom, I want to talk about Hawaii. Okay. Uh, when can I talk about Hawaii? I don't know. If, uh, I'm a Tom Segura fan, but I don't get the reference. Oh, it's, it's from his podcast. Okay. Anyway. The moment was there, and I was like, "I'm going to make that <laughs> reference." But tell me about Hawaii, and like, uh, yeah, I guess give the give the general pitch, and we can get into some stuff. So yeah, Hawaii was like kind of like my high school magnum opus. That's a weird thing to say. It is. I made a ton of films every single year of high school. I mean, it was just me and my friends. If we had nothing to do, we were working on a film. And they got bigger and bigger and won more awards and got more attention. And we were just doing this for fun. I mean, like, there was really no end goal. And then I was like, man, I've got all these people that love to work on movies that can make really, really good stuff. I mean, like, professional level work. And we're all 17. Um, I just wanted to take the opportunity to kind of do something with that very unique aura of creativity that I happen to grow up around and make something like really big and flashy with it. And I had had a lot of experiences growing up, of course, kind of like coming of age, leaving high school, about to start your own life is big feelings for everybody. 
you know, in everybody's story. But for me, it really affected me. So I, I wanted to write about it. I wrote like this just huge sprawling screenplay uh, inspired by my childhood in high school, ending in high school. I was in a punk band. I was deciding whether or not to go to college. I'd broken up with my first girlfriend. And I, was, I just processed all those feelings and thoughts through this script. Ended up bringing on a co-writer that I had worked on as an assistant director for their first feature in high school as well. Uh, and yeah, then I connected with Erica Bierman that I had worked on like a Hallmark movie with when I was like 16. And the only reason we were friends was because we were the only two people the same age huh. on that movie. I was like a BTS videographer and she was the lead. <laughs> and so we spent a lot of time behind the scenes together just because we were the only peers. And then it'd been years since I talked to her, I hit her up. I said, hey, would you be willing to play this character that's supposed to be my high school ex? And, and she said yes. It was the beginning of COVID. And so nobody was working. Uh -huh. Everybody wanted something to do. And me and my producer were trying to come up with, I mean, we were in talks with SAG-AFTRA trying to figure out how to get into production because SAG-AFTRA uh -huh. hadn't even published the guidelines for zoning or uh, any yeah. of those safety yeah. protocols. So we were kind of on the front lines, probably along with Sam Levinson's black and white movie that mm -hmm. came out in COVID. That I think that was technically the first movie that finished under the new COVID protocols. But around the same time is when we were working. Damn. And so she, because she had nothing else to do, she poured a ton into that character. I mean, she she like journaled for months as, wow. as Sarah. And at a certain point, I just I said, all right, this is inspired by my story, but take it and make it your own yeah. character. Like it's not based on anyone. This is, you know, something new. Mm -hmm. And she just did a, a breathtaking, incredible job. That's awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. For folks listening, I'll link that in in show notes and on the website and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I want I want to jump back to um, in high school. You said you're you're working with all these people. You you mentioned that you made a ton of you were making a bunch of movies every year. Like how many how many movies did you make in high school? And then like in what capacity? Like what was the output like? I mean, like I wasn't the type of kid that spent all my time trying to get good grades or spent all of it in sports. I mean, I did all those things, but it was not taking up any kind of majority of my mental capacity. Mm -hmm. All I was thinking about was movies, watching movies, reading about movies, writing movies, figuring out how to make them, figuring out how to make them better. And I'd say I made one kind of big ish film a year with mm -hmm. my friends. And then there was smaller kind of video projects, projects right. like, and I vlogged for a whole year at one point. I was very inspired by Casey Neistat, yeah. which, which actually really gave me a bunch of documentary skills, which I now use uh, today. I'm very much into documentary nowadays. I think it's totally different than narrative mm -hmm. or drama. I mean, I'm, real life is like pure story, yeah. you know, and narrative can only ever aspire to be yeah. real life. And documentary is actually going out like harvesting uh -huh. moments and try and then and then the art of trying to make it make sense and make it into a compelling story is so much more of a challenge than being able to have a blank page and just put whatever you want there you know it's 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 less you're less reliant on yourself more reliant on the world hmm. one of my professors at ohio university says life is chaos within the chaos there's like a thread a thread of a story hmm. and if you surrender to the flow of chaos, you'll find the thread. And if you hmm. find the thread, you'll find the story. And I kind of live by that. Huh. That's interesting. Have you, with the 
surrendering to the chaos to find the thread like what's your what's your interpretation on like how you're you're doing that like have you found any any ways or methods or tools to try and surrender to the chaos yeah i mean most days i feel like i just don't know what the fuck i'm doing (laughs) and you know so many people come up to me and they're like man you, you know you do great work i can't believe you're doing all this stuff and I'm like, I can't either. Like, I'm, I feel like I'm on autopilot sometimes. Like, I just have these things going on. The problem with me is that I have these big ideas mm-hmm. and they take so long to follow through to completion. Mm-hmm. And I, my problem is that I will follow them through to completion, but on the way, I'm going to pick up a few more ideas yeah. and start working on those. And then my plate just gets overflowing like an Italian plate of pasta, but it's just <laughs> movie stuff. Yeah. <laughs> how, how, ooh, I've got, got two questions here. How, how are you keeping track of those ideas in any formal capacity? Like, how are you, if you have like inspiration strikes you or something like that, how are you, you capturing those ideas? I mean, you're jotting down notes, you got sticky notes all over the room. Like, yeah, I mean, I've got a library full of full idea notebooks. I just had to buy a new one the other day, pretty much fill one a year. I don't know how long they're about a hundred, 200 pages each. And the pages are, I keep buying bigger ones to have bigger pages in <laughs> so I can fit more in. But wouldn't say I necessarily keep tabs on them. I, that everything that goes in the note goes on the back burner. That's just so like I get it out of my it's system. Out I can focus yeah. on whatever I need to focus on that day. But it's there. You know, it's somewhere if I want to find it. And I do love kind of going back and reading through them. I'd say 99% of those ideas are forgotten about, become unimportant to me, uh, you know, just kind of fade away. But there are some that stick. And, you know, they're the ones you have dreams about. Mm-hmm. They're the ones you think about in your idle moments. And my favorite part is when I've got an idea or two completely disparate ideas. And I think this is something like really important about our humanity is like the ability to hold two separate ideas in our head and like balance them Mm. and, and kind of consider them at the same time. And it's as an artist juxtaposing ideas and images and things like that is kind of some of the most interesting things we can do. And so when I find ways to merge ideas that are completely different, that had nothing to do with each other, maybe even had years apart, and they can finally come together, like those are some of my favorite moments of, I don't know what you want to call it, synergy, you know, that. So yeah, I'd say it's less of a formal, I always have a swirl of ideas going around Uh in my head and kind of in hard books around me. And sometimes they merge and sometimes they get forgotten. And sometimes there's just one that I'm going to work on. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Uh, I think that's interesting. There's a, um, an idea that I kind of keep at the front of my mind, or at least have been recently that uh, good art is about contrast in Mm -hmm. every possible definition you can give it. Like, you know, contrast in like a photo between light and dark or contrast between like two different characters in a film or contrast in like the production of vocal style and music, right? Like, I think that that's a principle that you can apply to just about everything if you try. Yeah. Tends to hold true. And it's interesting to hear you talk about that with with two contrasting ideas. Um, First quick question on that. Do you notice, is there any difference between or any increased or decreased frequency in which you go back to those ideas and gravitate to ones that are, um, uh, that have anything to do with timeline, right? Do you find yourself gravitating to older ones? Will you find yourself where you're like, there was a period of time maybe where like, there's a lot of ideas or what's that, what's the relationship between ideas and like the time in which you came up with them? So it's, it's really relative. I'll give you a couple examples. There's there's two things I'm writing right now. One is my thesis film that I'm going to graduate with. And this is an idea that I haven't been working on that long. It came to me almost in completion. 
in September. And this is right at the start of my final, my senior school year. I was, you know, tasked with making thesis film. And so I'm like, all right, what what am I going to do? And I'm thinking about this every day. I'm not really working too hard at it. In fact, when I came up with the idea, I was chilling in my bed watching Elaine May's Mikey and Nikki, which has nothing to do with the thesis idea I had. But while I was like halfway through this movie and boom, I get this very clear idea of a movie. And I just paused the movie and I just wrote it down, you know? And I was so compelled by it. Couldn't get it out of my head for the next couple of days. So I wrote it, wrote the first draft, kind of got some notes on it and I've been developing it. I'm getting pretty close to the final draft now that mm-hmm. it's November and we're going to shoot in January. So that's something that was a very immediate idea that I was able to kind of hop on and, and be productive about. At the same time, I'm working on writing my first feature that I hope to make, which is an idea I had in, when COVID first hit and I was had taken a gap year between high school and college. And I was working and the work really slowed down. So I was like, well, I, I might as well task myself with doing some research, coming up with a, like a cool idea for a movie. And so I did all this research and I, I wrote this bunch of notes and maybe, maybe a rough draft of this forest fire cryptid horror feature like set in a national park. I really like kind of like gothic woodsy stories and I love kind of supernatural creature stuff. So I had all these notes and then uh, I kind of pulled from those to write my first feature, which is Mm -hmm. a very similar idea. I'm basically using those notes to Mm -hmm. finally finish that idea. And so that's kind of, I guess that idea has got to be three years old now. Like I'm looking through stuff on my computer that's like three years old to write something today. Um, That's, of course, a longer term project. I don't expect to make that. I mean, it's maybe a next five years kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, I mean, that's just kind of a current example of how I can have kind of two ideas going and one I came up with forever ago and one I came up with basically yesterday. How are you? uh, Is there any sort of like system of of organization or how do you approach digging back through those old ideas? Like, is is that something you're doing on a regular basis or what's the... Oh, it's really random. It's really like... Yeah, I don't run my life like uh, like business or a formula or anything. I, I like to think of it as more magical than that. I just kind of let things flow and they come to me when they come to me. I mean, I the reason this older idea for this horror feature came up was because I was like, all right, I'm, I'm about to graduate. You know, what am I going to do next? I need something to kind of aim towards. I've got a couple documentaries that are going on, but documentaries are a huge long-term process. Yeah. And they're not really... I mean, you could involve yourself every day in it, but it really doesn't help. You just got to take your time and they yep. progress how they progress. So I was like, All right, well, I know I want to make a narrative movie. And so that was just kind of naturally what bubbled up when that opportunity arose. It wasn't necessarily like planned. I didn't kind of search it out. It was just, I was like, oh yeah, this is something I have in the back burner. Let's bring it to the front. Interesting. It, what was the, well, I guess you kind of answered that. What was, I was going to ask, what was the like, thing that made you go look for it. But I guess it was that moment of like, what am I going to do next? I mean, yeah, the thing is, it wasn't even really looking. It was just kind of always there. Okay. And then when it kind of had the opportunity to arise, it just brought itself out of my subconscious. Okay. You know? Okay. Interesting. Uh, all right. And then so like, let's say you're looking through some of those. This is a topic, by the way, that I love. Ideation like, is my favorite part of it's, creating. It's yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like you said, there is a magic to it. Yeah. And there is, I am obsessed with how to most efficiently capture that magic. Like there needs, you need a way to capture an idea as soon as you have it. 
because it, it will go away. Yeah. And if you're not careful, you'll like you think to yourself, oh, I'll remember this later. Nope. At least in my case, I never do. Nope. Yeah. I smoke least... too much weed to remember my ideals. <laughs> yeah. Um, where was I going with that? Capturing the magic of ideas. Yeah. As you're, um, let's say you're like kind of looking through or you're, you're in a moment where, or here, actually I'll ask this first. Do you have moments where you're like, there aren't ideas? Like what there's not. I'm trying to think of how to word the question, but do you have, do you have moments where you're like, maybe you don't have that, that idea at the top of mind immediately and you have to go searching for something for whatever the next thing is. Sure. I, yeah, there are moments where I don't know what I'm going to work on, what I'm going to do next. It's been really hard being in school because it's kind of structured and formulated and, and you're on a schedule and you have to create according to the schedule or else you're going to flunk out. Mm-hmm. I've never had any kind of problem keeping myself busy, but there's certainly points where I don't know what to keep myself busy with. Mm. And when I'm at that point, I try not enforce it. I'm not, I try and not look for the next thing. That's when I kind of take a step back and I'm like, okay, perfect example is like last summer, actually the past two summers, I have worked on any of my own personal project. I've just freelanced on um, a couple features and a couple reality shows. Mm-hmm. And so like, Two years ago, I AD'd Top Vegan. This last year, I shot for Secret Celebrity Renovation on CBS. And that took up like my whole summer, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that same summer I worked on Top Vegan, I worked out in Pennsylvania on like a small high school comedy called The Superlatives, which is coming out soon. And then just this summer, after I did the CBS show, I went out to Croatia and I worked on a little kind of drama thriller out there. And so, you know, during that time, that was as to make money and to get experience and some other people, you know, that's still making movies. That's still what I love to do, even if I'm not the steering wheel. Yep. And that honestly gives me the space and time to re-energize and kind of reset to be able to now refocus on my own project. Now that I'm back in school and I'm writing these two things and I'm about to make one of them, you know, I really have the energy and the inspiration because I just came from doing something for somebody else. and and. I just love all the aspects of, of the filmmaking process. Mm-hmm. And so I don't always have to be in charge to be fulfilled, I guess. Okay. And actually, I think kind of get a lot of my energy from the balance of yeah. of working with people and then working for myself and, mm-hmm. and vice versa. Interesting. With when you're out, like doing all those those other projects, like working for people, um, like were were there any things that you were like picking up along the way of I mean, I, I guess I'm sure you were. Like, what are were some of those things that you picked up along the way that maybe you then came back and were able to implement into your own into your own work? Like little lessons, yeah, 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 something like that. Um, I two come to mind. One from Top Vegan, which I was twenty one, I think, when I ad'd that. It was my first job ading reality show. Actually, it was my first time working in reality TV. I had assistant directed maybe one or two films before that, and they were short films. So I really had no, I mean, Logan Solano, who you interviewed, he just kind of trained, he wanted to work with me. He knew uh, that I could direct. So he trusted me that I could assistant direct. I mean, they're totally different jobs, but yeah, I, I can run a set, I guess. So anyways, I show up and nobody knows me. I mean, these are all like consummate professionals, like uh-huh. people that have been working in the industry for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. And we're all just getting to work and nobody's like, you know, who's this young baby, uh-huh. you know, <laughs> like, what's he talking about? Like, and, you know, problems became evident. 
very quickly on the first day, especially with scheduling and efficiency of how the crew was working together. And I was like, you know, I was seeing these things. And at a certain point, I realized, oh, it's it's actually my job to see these things and fix them. Mm. And yeah, I, I did the work. You know, I stayed up late that first night and I said, how do we cut these hours and be more efficient? Mm. You know, because we have all these pros that should be able to be doing their great work a lot quicker with a lot less frustration, and a lot less kind of like conflict. And so every single day I kind of came up with a new plan of like, okay, how do we make this work better? How do we make, and by the end of the week, we were down from a 12 hour day to like eight or nine hour day. And, and people were coming up to me and congratulating me. And, and then one of the older guys on set who, who was obviously kind of one of the more experienced ones, he finally asked me how old I was. <laughs> and I said, I'm 21 and everybody lost their minds. They were like, what? Uh, but you know, I just learned, okay, everybody can do something really well on set what makes them do that thing well is only having to do that thing and not worrying about the logistics you know as an assistant director you are putting these people that can do the best job in the best place to do that if they don't have that person that's not necessarily going to happen you know it's just going to be a bunch of highly paid professionals bumbling around yeah (laughs) and so I learned learned a lot about organization on that, you know, enough so that on my films, I bring in my assistant director on pre-production and I make sure that they are aware of every single move we're going to make, every single setup, every single kind of like logistical problem that, you know, and that's kind of honestly more of a producer thing. But the assistant director, if they are willing and able to know and be aware of all that beforehand, it's just going to make things more efficient on the day. Something I learned this last year while I was working on the film in Croatia, European films work way differently than here. Mm-hmm. I mean, here it's high stress, long days, long hours, just scrambling to be the most productive possible. I mean, yeah, I don't know. American film sets are just stressful. It's just constant, constant action. Go, 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 go. Hurry up and wait. In Europe, they're so relaxed. I mean, like the lighting guys will set up a stand and put a seat put a sandbag on it and take a 15 minute smoke break. And they'll come back. They'll put a light and a scrim on it. They'll take a 15 minute smoke break. An hour after they set up the lights is when we finally get to shooting. You know, people will get fired here if that's what happened. And also people don't smoke in America anymore, which is weird. <laughs> but anyways, the, the director had no problems with this. And in fact, it was kind of the director's style. Mm. It's just, all right, the scene's setting up. We're here with the actors. We're blocking it. We're talking about it. The camera's up. Uh, we have our schedule, but we have to take the time we need to take to get the shot right. And it is just kind of like the patience and slow, tedious time it takes to get everything perfect. And there's no frustration with that. There's no pressure with that. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is the job. We're going to take as long as it takes to do it. And that really inspired me because when I was on set before before this, I was always like, all right, how, you know, how do we be the most productive? How do we scramble to get everything we need and get everything in the can? And I realized that's actually not what's important. Like what's important is telling the story you have to tell and telling it well. And I mean, so what if it takes longer than you expect? I mean, sit there and take that long with it because otherwise you're doing yourself and everybody you're working with and everybody who's going to watch the film Mm -hmm. kind of a disfavor. You're doing the film, you're doing the art a disservice. Yeah, exactly. Not not just the people, but like the thing. Yeah. I mean, you don't show up on set to get through the day. You show up on set to make a movie, you know? Mm And making a movie is is you know, sitting there and taking time to work it out. And I love the there's this 
little clip of David Lynch I saw the other day, and he was complaining to one of his producers about the studio cutting hours or cutting days, and he's like, he's like, they're cutting my schedule, man. I don't have time to dream. We just show up and shoot. <laughs> and and I'm like, yeah, man, like you gotta you gotta build in time to just kind of like sit yeah. and be in your movie and feel it out because. If you don't do it, the audience isn't going to feel that, you know, they're just going to feel like, oh, this is cheaply, quickly made. So anyways, my upcoming film, I've been in talks with my producer and my assistant director already. And I'm like, guys, I want like, I mean, it depends on the shot, but like, I'd like to sit and do each shot for like 45 minutes to an hour. Uh Normally, 20 minutes is long for me for a setup. I mean, it's like one, two, three takes. Let's move on. Mm -hmm. Whether we got it or not, you know, it's good enough. Yep. And and that's been a problem for my films in the past. And I have not been willing to slow down and have the patience to fix that. Really what it takes is, is just slowing down my process. Hmm. And so after this experience, this summer of seeing how the European film set works, I want to try that with my film. Interesting. Interesting. Is it for you, is it just, um, is it just slowing down the pace or are there other things that you're doing to give yourself that? breathing room to dream well yeah i mean it's putting a lot more work in the prep Mm -hmm. and making sure i know okay what's the bare minimum we need to tell this story how i want to tell it Mm -hmm. where do we have room to experiment where do we have room to improvise and yeah to dream so long as we get this bare minimum amount of of shots of action of detail what after that is adding to it and and kind of Mm -hmm. increasing the value increasing the story, the detail, the depth, you know, mm. I want, I want my films to feel like, I want my films to be able to be rewatchable. You know, if you just watch a film once and you feel like you got it, I don't think that's a very good film. Like I want something that like you need to sit with, like, like a meditation, something that's f- so full of thought that you can't grab it all at once, mm-hmm. you know? And the only way to do that is, is to invest in that thought, in the writing process, in the prep process for shooting, and then when you're actually shooting, and then even after that, when you're editing, you know, figuring out how, when, why the timing of those juxtapositions of two shots, you know, with that cut point, that that's another form of meditation, you know? And, and so in all those processes, I want to be so deliberate and intentional that people can come back to the films over and over and find something different. Hmm. Are there... Are there things that you're doing or looking like specific things that you're looking for to give a movie that rewatchable factor? Or is it just all about the depth? I'd say it's mostly about I'd say it's two things. It's the theme themes and kind of what the movie is speaking to underneath what it's talking to you about. Okay. kind of thoughts does it provoke in you? Not what thoughts does it tell you? Mm. That's super important on on the concept stage, Mm -hmm. you know, from the writing stage. Once you get to the technical level. When you're thinking about shot choice, performance direction, kind of like timing, pacing in the cut, it's then it's kind of more about the the cerebral, like you're being the novel's editor, you know, and and you're figuring out okay how how to tell this efficiently and how to get these subtext and textual elements to be laid out the most efficiently and interesting. Like like mm-hmm. I think, excuse me, that's the key is just making. It interesting mm-hmm. because you know if you're bored in a movie why are you watching the movie <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah especially nowadays when there's so much 
like entertainment out there and there's so much option and ability to go watch stuff like yeah there's no reason to sit through a two-hour film if you're bored yeah you know 30 minutes into it yeah like no that's it's one of those things that i think um on face value can be like oh yeah of course my film's going to be interesting but i think like when i'm working on something like i um I'm trying to find ways that I can separate myself from it as the person who's making it right to, I I think what it is, is to find that interesting factor, right? Because it's inherently, it's probably going to be interesting to you if you're making it right. Like if you're making it it's because you wanted to make it and there's a like a base level of interest to you. But I think there's a, a level to which you need to be able to step back and look at that, separate yourself from that. Uh, How do you, like, how do you vet whether or not something is like interesting? As vague and odd of a question as that, that is. It's impossible. It's yeah. impossible. I'll say it now. You don't know. Because my process works in that, like, a lot of people think, oh man, like, you so you got all these films that are out and they're doing so well and they're playing in front of full crowds and they're getting distribution online. And, and like, by the time all that happens, I'm bored as fuck with that movie. Like, mm-hmm. I don't give a shit. Like, by the time Hawaii came out, I mean, I hardly even wanted to watch it again. <laughs> I was just like, oh, I made this thing three years ago. Like, I'm I'm doing other things. It's really about the process of making that keeps me working. It's not about the end result and the accolades and whatever happens with them. So by the time people are seeing them and being like, oh, wow, these are really interesting. Like, like good. Like, I'm glad. Mm-hmm. I didn't know for sure whether it was, but, you know, I, I gave it a shot years ago. And, mm-hmm. and now you're seeing it. And cool. But... Yeah, by the time I'm done with the film, I've seen it a million times. I am so close to it, like nose against the grindstone that I can't see it objectively. And I just kind of have to trust that my intuition, you know, will be entertaining to people. Uh, throughout the throughout the process, are you bringing in other people and like kind of bouncing ideas around with them? Or are you totally going on intuition? No, no. I mean, I find a lot of confidence in working with other people. In fact, that's my favorite part about the filmmaking process is the collaboration. I love bringing in people that are better at me, better than me at their jobs than, than I could be and giving them a direction. Doing that thing that I did as an AD on, on Top Vegan but, you know, on a more creative level and being like, okay, I want something like this. I'm not going to micromanage you go, you know, going make something interesting or cool for me. And then when I, when somebody else makes something interesting for me and I kind of put it in part of the whole, I can trust, okay, yeah, I'm doing something interesting mm-hmm. because I don't have to just look at myself and kind of egotistically be like, oh yes, everything I make is so interesting and I do it all myself. It's like, I'm curating very interesting, good quality work from others. And we're going to make something like amazing hmm. together from, from the sum of the parts that's going to be greater than the whole. And so, yeah, never really know if it's going to work or not. I just, hmm. I spend the time on it. I do the work until I'm happy with it and I move on. I'll give you an example. My most recent film that just premiered death of a Bible salesman. Um, I'd been working on it for a year and a half just premiered in front of a sold out audience of like three. It was like standing room only. And that's it. Congrats. Thank you. It was an awesome experience, but I, I was so full of self doubt from, it was a very personal project for mine. I I grew up religious through a lot of trauma with that. And this was kind of my first time really facing that Mm -hmm. and processing those ideas and feelings in a, on a public scale, you know, which yeah, was just really vulnerable for me and something I'd never done. 
So all through the process, I was just full of self-doubt. I've, I've never been more insecure about making something hmm. in my life. And every step of the way, I you know just was unsure. And and somebody asked me, they were like, "Are you excited for the screening next week?" Like you know, a week beforehand. And I had been up for sixteen hours every day for a week, kind of like prepping the screener. And I was like, hey, "Like I don't know. I like I'm not even thinking about it. Like <laughs> I'm tired." Like. And, and they were like, oh, yeah, maybe you'll be excited the day before. And I was like, yeah, maybe. Uh, and then the day of, I'm nervous. My hands are sweating. It's about to show. I get invited up to, to introduce it. I don't even remember what I said. It was just kind of an autopilot thing. It wasn't anything really meaningful. And I sit down and I watch it. And being with all those people that I knew for sure had never seen it, had never been a part of a second of any of its development or thought process or any of that, I was able to kind of be a part of them and see it with fresh eyes for a new time. And I entertained myself. I was like, holy fuck, like, this is cool. And sure enough, afterwards, I mean, people clapped, they cheered. And so many people afterwards came up to me and just wanted to talk to me about, you know, this aspect of it or this aspect of it or the whole thing or how much they loved it. And at that point, I was like, I know it was worth it. You know, mm -hmm. I know all that work I did, regardless of the self-doubt or the unsuredness, like, people really dug it by the time it did come out. Yeah. So, you know, I can, no matter how insecure you are through the process, get to the point where you can show your work because uh -huh. you never know how people are going to respond. And often it's probably going to be a lot different than you expect. Hopefully better. What, given the film was so personal to you and, and, you know, very, very tied in with a lot, uh, a lot of like kind of emotional weight, it sounds like, uh, what was it like? Like, what was the, what was like kind of going through your head or like what was your emotional process like watching that on the big screen like that like i mean it, it was a little difficult because i knew that i was presenting ideas that certain people in my life like did not want to hear and those people were not there at that screening i'm sure they'll eventually see the movie but i mean really what i was thinking about was like i'm challenging people's traditional concepts of life the universe itself mm -hmm. And like, who am I? Who am I to challenge thousands of years of thought and like holy texts and all this? You know, but on the other hand, as artists, we're supposed to use our voice and our perspective and we can't be anybody other than the people we are in our shoes. Mm. And from what I've seen, the church and religion has been kind of a toxin in humankind that's only dragging us down and keeping us from kind of evolving and being better people, being more connected with each other. I mean, like these wars that we see out in the Middle East right now between Palestine and Israel, not necessarily boiling it down to it's a religious war because it's not, but like you just see like, man, we are all the same. Like we all have hands, feet. Yeah. We put on our pants one leg at a time. And yet for some reason, there's something in our heads that says, I'm different than you. So fuck you. Yep. And it causes, you know, all these problems and we can't live in harmony. And... And that's encouraged by things in our society, things in our history, the tradition aspect of that religion kind of like holds on to. And I think people are really scared of change. And, and so all of these ideas were kind of like baked into this story that I was telling and bringing all of that up in front of people that are older than me, have different experiences than me, different religious backgrounds, different life backgrounds. It's just, it's kind of scary. I mean, you're putting yourself out there and being like, this is what I think. Feel free to disagree with me. Mm -hmm. For that kind of thing, if somebody disagrees with you, it can actually be kind of intense, yeah, you know? Like, <laughs> you know, if I was, yeah, if I was playing this 
to a, a different crowd in a different place, I might be in danger, you know? <laughs> yeah. When when you were talking to folks after, like when they were coming up to you and, and asking you or like talking to you about the themes and stuff in it, um, how much aligned with ideas that you had thought through and how much or like were there things coming up that like you hadn't thought about or that like, you know, maybe were not necessarily your your intention and your interpretation your interpretation, but had been lifted from that kind of independent from you. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's definitely a meaning behind the film that I understand that Mm -hmm. I wrote it with. And then I don't think anybody quite got exactly that, Mm -hmm. but it's not my job to tell them to see it that way. So, so, you know, uh, hearing what people were picking up on and kind of what pieces they were interested in and kind of like help them unlock the story in their own way. It's really interesting and gratifying to me Mm -hmm. as a filmmaker, but you know, yeah, once it's done, I, I really try not to explain it. I let people yeah. have it for themselves. Yeah. And and I love that it's kind of a different story to different people, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I think that that's what, that's something that's kind of interesting about art in general is, um, I'm trying to remember the conversation I was having. I don't remember the context of it, but the quote that came out of it that stuck with me was, uh, good art isn't like, telling something but it should make you feel something yeah something along those lines right i think it's the the distinction between telling and feeling or interpreting and stuff like that uh, and being able to to kind of take something and and put a message and an idea out there and like you said to just be like make your own take on this you know like you have your own ideas of what it is you've got a direction that you're aiming it certainly but the fact that it can just kind of get launched out there and and do who knows what to based on any given person's life experience or what they're going through in the moment is one of those things that kind of makes it makes it so interesting and fascinating. Yeah. yeah and it really depends on what your goal is as an artist. I mean, cause you can be a filmmaker that just aims to entertain and, and just make something that, you know, is going to fill your time, but an opportunity you have with people giving you their time and literal perception. I mean, like as a filmmaker, you liter- literally people are just giving you, their perception of sight, sound, and feeling, mm-hmm. sensation for however long the duration of your film is. Mm-hmm. And they're paying you for it with the ticket. <laughs> and, and you can make that, you can give them the space to think and feel about anything. And that's where like, you can kind of like start to think about your responsibility as an artist and as, as an individual. And that's hard. Like that, you know, that's where yeah. it gets really difficult because that's, that's real shit. You know, that's not just time-wasting entertainment. Yeah. That's thoughts and ideas and change and things that matter. And that's kind of where I'm I'm feeling my career going towards. I used to just want to make movies because I wanted to make cool things for people to watch. Uh-huh. And now, especially with my work in documentary and kind of between Hawaii and Death of a Bible Salesman, making really personal stories, I'm like, okay, what do I want people to come away from this talking about mm-hmm. and thinking about and... Do I, do I want them to, to change or not? You know, do I want people to come away different? Hmm. And the answer is yes. And that means that my work is so much more harder, but mm-hmm. also so much more gratifying. Hmm. How do you approach writing something that has the intention of changing people? Like that feels like a very daunting task. Like how do you think about that? How do you approach that? I don't know if when I start with something, I want to necessarily change people, but I want to give the opportunity for people to take a look at themselves or the world around them and consider it deeper. For my new thesis film, 
sure, the story came to me and the aesthetic concept and kind of like the the underlying ideas. And those underlying ideas were not necessarily what's in the story. I was thinking about just in general tension culture and how social media is changing our minds as a society and why I specifically feel the need to be seen, like my work to be seen, myself to be seen on social media, in person. I don't know. It gives us some kind of sense of of belonging, purpose. And I, uh, I'm trying to find the right words. Um, some sort of comfort we get from just being perceived by other peoples and not condemned or judged by them, just kind of general acceptance. There's something that comes with that that's good. And then there's something that social media and today's culture that kind of makes it extreme, like on drugs. Mm -hmm. Like it's like, oh, I need eyes on me at all times. I need likes, I need shares, I need follows. Constant attention or else you're uncomfortable or uh, you feel alone or whatever, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, and yeah, I think people are kind of losing their sense of, of good isolation, good solitude, you know, because that's where I get my recharge. That's, I love being around people. I love being extroverted. But at the same time, my alone time by myself, like that's yep. my sanctuary, you know, like that's, yep. that's, that's love to me. And anyways, these ideas were floating around my head. So when I got this horror idea that kind of brought up these existential themes of like what the idea behind the film is like, what if you didn't exist if nobody was looking at you? And like, what if you had to go to greater and greater lengths to get people to look at you to survive? And like, how terrifying would that end up being? Because you can kind of get yeah, there pretty quickly yeah. in your head. And that, yeah, that's that was the concept that came into my mind because I was thinking about this. And so I go and I write the, the plotted story and characters around that story. But underneath that is going to be these ideas that I hope people will think about uh -huh. of why do I feel more comfortable when people are looking at me yeah. or not? You know, if that's how people feel. And so I'm not necessarily looking to change anything. I, it's not like a social button I'm trying to push. It's just something I want to talk about. I'm talking about with myself and I want other people around me to start thinking and talking about as well. Hmm. That's interesting. No, and it's funny that you bring up like the social media stuff. It's, it's very relevant for me because I'm about to delete all of mine. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so I, uh, yeah. I, uh, um, yeah, I, I don't think my reasoning is as poignant as, as yours <laughs> with your thought process. I just, I have a lot of those similar ideas maybe not as thought out as much. And I just go, I don't need it. I'm going to get off of it. Like yeah. that's the main thing for me, but like, yeah, I agree. I think there is an extent to which I don't think we're supposed to be this connected to everybody. Yeah. Like there's an extent to which, um, it isn't really doing its benefit. Like, you know, originally it was designed to like help you keep in touch with people or whatever, mm -hmm. and like communities or whatever. And now like, uh, the, uh, it's become this weird, different thing. That's not really anything to do with that. And it's, it's an addiction. Yeah. And it's like, it's an addiction that big like corporations are putting millions of dollars of R and D yeah. research into. It's another yeah. thing to consume. And the trick is that it makes you think that you're kind of creating or producing something or, or doing something. Yeah. Communal mm -hmm. when really you're just kind of adding to exactly. this machine that is out of your control and not really doing anything yeah. for you. Yeah. It's not natural. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you know, I, I, I try and remember like, when did I, what did I do when I didn't have social media? Mm -hmm. Like, like, and how many days do I go without posting something sometimes, you mm -hmm. know, like, and then do people like miss me uh -huh. when I'm not posting? Like, do they think I'm dead? Uh -huh. Like, and it's like, no, like, why are we 
why we why do we even care yeah <laughs> it's yeah. just like like social media is just like another little thing in life it's not a it shouldn't be a huge part of our social atmosphere uh-huh yeah no it's, it's i think the point of like you're not actually connecting with people is very relevant because it's uh it's something that i have uh kind of been giving thought to in like you know getting off of social media and stuff of I'm working on a like written piece for my website on basically like why I'm not on social media. And I kind of want to have like in the footer where social icons would be. Yeah. I, wanna ha- I don't know if I want to have social icons or a thing of like looking for social media, but either way, it would, like, <laughs> you know, where if somebody's looking for my Instagram, I just take them to that article. Yeah. But uh, send one, me an email. <laughs> yeah. One of the, one of the many things that I noticed is that it's like, I'm not really connecting with people through a lot like because a lot of it especially in our industry is like oh well, i need it for work and x y and z and it's like that's my main excuse and it's like not and i i have given myself pushback and like to give other people pushback because i don't think you really do like i most of i can name one exception that of of somebody that i've met and connected with through social media who i wouldn't have met and connected with through real world connections and even that person it turns out is like a good friend of mine's brother-in-law. Like, <laughs> yeah. Even that person. Right. And that was like And you know that else. sense of community that you find through those through those random kind of moments in your real life are so much more real and meaningful mm-hmm. than just like, oh, here's somebody the algorithm recommended to yep. you. You know, it's like like the real life connections and how real life works and time and space and energy and all these things. Like I felt so much more peace happiness, power in being around in person, you know, my community, Mm -hmm. that's where I get my life. That's where I find my kind of source. And social media is absolutely not even a percent of that. It is merely a reflection, something that wishes to imitate it Mm -hmm. and does a piss poor job. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there's no replacement for the connection of real people in your life that are there and care about you. Mm -hmm. And for me, a lot of those people are the people that I work with and create with, you know, and I can't work and create with people through social media. Yeah. Yeah. To to pull us back to you had mentioned kind of like thinking through why do I share my work and like what's the you know, because and I agree, I think a lot of. a lot of people, at least in the industry, if not most creatives, probably once they're done with it, they're not even thinking about it anymore. They're, like you said, on to the next thing or whatever. But there is a a thing of where it has to be released. Mm-hmm. And I think I had read Rick Rubin's book, The Creative Act, which is a very interesting book. I haven't book. read it. You should check that out. It's a very, it's all very like uh, in the esoterics of creativity. Cool. Um, it's very that's interesting. My, that's my jam. Yeah, it's a very, very good read. But he talks about the idea of releasing is of releasing the work is for the purpose of the art of the next thing because mm-hmm. you can't work on that next thing until you've released whatever you're working on yeah. so it's not it doesn't have anything to do with that thing or with getting eyeballs on it or or showcasing it it has everything to do with it's in service to the next thing and I find that kind of interesting i've been trying to mull that over cuz like getting off of social media right a lot of folks in our industry will like share our work there. And like I do some photography stuff on the side and I'm thinking through like, okay, well, I used to have Instagram as an outlet for that. I don't really give a shit if people look at it. Like what, how do I share it in a way that serves its purpose? And it's kind of, yeah. I don't know. I guess it's something I've been mulling over. I'll turn that into a question. Then. I mean, that takes, that takes creativity just like it takes to make 
yeah. the thing yeah. is like, okay, now that you don't have the easy post button mm-hmm. and the easy likes to see, you know, who's interacted with it, you know, now you have to do some more work and mm-hmm. see where it actually is supposed to be mm-hmm. because social, just because social media exists doesn't mean it's the best place for you to do yeah. something or, uh, you know, my favorite part of releasing movies is actually not having them be public. It's it's before they go to film festivals, the movies just finished and we're having like an exclusive premiere or like just a, you know, a couple day theater run or a couple theater week long run, something like that. And the people that come and interact with it and, and it's like a special moment. It's like exclusive, yeah. you know, you have to be there at that specific place in time and you have to have this kind of secret knowledge in the world mm-hmm. of like, I know this guy made this thing in this place and it's going to be showing then and and you're like one of the few mm-hmm. you know and then you honestly feel like you're in a club with the people that are supposed to be seeing you yeah. know your work and that that is what really gives me the energy to keep huh. making it it's not the oh a thousand people watched your thing on uh-huh. youtube today i don't give a fuck like <laughs> great yeah. whatever yep. i hope you liked it i'm never going to meet any of those people yep hopefully they'll be fans and spend money on my movies in the future but <laughs> To me, it's really inconsequential, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and yeah, like I said, just thinking back before the digital era, like if you made an art movie, you had to, you had to like go on the road mm-hmm. with your reel of film and you had to go into like college auditoriums and like, you know, have been handing out flyers on campus the previous day and, and hope that people show up and maybe pass out a couple of joints and be like, Hey man, like it, let's, let's have a good time and, and enjoy it and talk about it. And you know, that like... That kind of thing is what presents itself as an opportunity once you stop going the easy route of like mm-hmm. releasing the in the least path of re- resistance. I yeah. did a photo series when I was younger and I ended up posting it on social media and it didn't do very well. But my idea was to have it be an exhibit that people mm-hmm. could walk through and it would be like an experience, you know, mm-hmm. and that whole thought behind the art of it was gone because yeah. I didn't want to put in the work or do the time to set that up. Mm-hmm. And I just posted it. And so it kind of just lost all the original intent. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think getting creative with how to show your work, you know, and not taking the easiest route is, is, is a really good thing. Yeah. That's interesting. That's, that's something it's funny. You've given me a lot to, to think about there. Cause that's something that's been top of mind for me lately and reminded of two things, but the first is just like something I found interesting is that the by far the most attention I got for anything on social media, with the exception of my recent engagement. Uh, Congratulations. Uh, uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, with the exception of that uh, was me announcing how I was getting off of social media. Yeah. Like blew the fuck up and I barely even like I threw some shit up on my story. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like I had a bunch of people messaging me and like all this stuff. I find it interesting and I can't, I don't know what it is about it. It's an idea I want to explore more, but there's some weird irony there. That was the thing that got the most attention. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, Oh, we're not going to be able to pay attention to you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, that, I think that's fascinating. I was reminded of a, a film. I wish I remember what it was called. But it was. Tell me about. It. I might be able to come up with it for you. Oh, it, oh, it wasn't like a. It was. It was archival footage oh, that okay. I pulled. But it was. It was a home. It was like a home film that some guy in the '60s or '70s made. And I had. I had like sampled some of this footage in a music video that I worked on, and which is how I ended up finding it. But it was like 20 minutes of this guy who had a Cadillac and he had some sort of like car mount for whatever camera. Because when you were talking about like if you wanted to make a, a movie, you had to go like 
load up your film and yeah, go do it. Yeah. And so this dude had had a car mount and dro- was just driving through the United States. And it was just that. It was That's like this awesome. dude driving through the United States in like 60s, 70s, something like that. And like old towns. He visited like the Grand Canyon and all this stuff. It was like just that. It wasn't. It was an interesting thing of like looking at that and going, what what did this dude when he made this? What was he do? What was his intent with this? How did he intend to release it? Like, because there was no commentary, there was no music, there was no message overall. Seemingly, like it was simply, I've got a camera mount and I put it on my Cadillac and I drive it yeah. to the U.S. in the '60s. So like, yeah. it was kind of an interesting, interesting thing there. Um, yeah, I don't know where I was. That's I was cool. Going. I mean, yeah, some stuff just exists to exist, and that's that's the beauty of it. I mean, there's no real intention behind it. I love. I just got. To, I just bought a reel of old eight millimeter footage from a thrift shop. It said mystery on it. You know, they, they couldn't watch it. They didn't have a projector. I've got a projector at home. I got to fix it. But, you know, that's that's something that excites me. Those kinds of things where you just find them. There's this guy who does a podcast. I don't remember what it's called, but he just goes to to, to thrift stores and garage sales and he finds old tapes like audio tapes. Doesn't doesn't really investigate them just buys them listens to them at home and then like if he finds something interesting he'll post he'll he'll digitize it and post it interesting and and yeah and and that's kind of another role of the artist is not to be something productive that can add to the consumerist machine but to be a time capsule of just somebody that was there with an eye or an ear you know and just Mm -hmm. like yeah i captured something yeah it's, it's what you had said earlier you're curating uh people to collaborate with who have like a certain vision or a skill set. I think that that's a lot of the job of an artist is to, is to simply curate like with a, uh, there's a, like a short film that I'm working on the edit of. It's like a dance film. And uh, there are all these different pieces to the puzzle where I ended up picking it up way down the line after it had been shot and scored and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's like a puzzle. Mm-hmm. Of there's all these different pieces and I don't know how they fit and I don't have a lot of the context and you have to just decipher it, right? You have to figure out because like, I don't know, I don't, I'm past the point of being able to put my creative uh, intent into how it's shot or how the story that's being told. Like I have to figure out what that is. You know, it's not my uh, place anymore to, to try and steer it, if you will. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I have have questions anymore now. I'm just I'm saying things, but I'm just rambling. <laughs> but uh, oh shit, yeah, we're right about at about an hour. Yeah, man. Um, I mean, I could talk about just random esoteric creative it, things forever with you. <laughs> it's it's one of my favorite pastimes. I mean, like I said, it's why I did this podcast. Right. So you have an excuse. excuse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's I should do the same thing. It's it's pretty easy to do. Just fucking get some mics and bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I mean, it's. On, on the note of uh, putting stuff out, just to put it out, like, I haven't ever looked at the numbers of this. I mean, I know they're not anything, but yeah. I'm just like, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm not, I put it out again to have put it out, I yeah. think. You know what I mean? To have like, done the work and to have released it. Yep. It's yep. not about the product or the productivity of it afterwards. It's mm-hmm. the fact that you did it. And you have these conversations. I mean, like, look. If nobody listens to this, who cares? Like yeah. we create a value between us and yep. having a really interesting uh, conversation mm-hmm. about things that we care about. We got excited. We got to express our passions, express uh-huh. ourselves. And like that alone should be worth it. You know, yep. like the, nobody yep. should have to listen to it for it to be worth anything more. So I just mm-hmm. thanks for inviting me to come and have this conversation with you, man. Yeah. I don't care where it goes afterwards. Yeah, of course, man. No, it's been uh, it's been a blast. 
Is there anything for all those listeners who will never hear it? Is there anything you want to plug or or things of that nature? Sure. Check out 4x3's YouTube page. They've got my film Hawaii and Hiking out now. They will probably have more of mine in the future, including Death of a Bible Salesman, but that's that's a while down the line. I just finished that. It's got to go to festivals and stuff. And then um, uh, there's probably no way for you to hear about this afterwards, but I'm about to start a, a Indiegogo campaign to fund my thesis film. So, yeah, I don't know if there's any way I can get Riley to get that link to you guys, but if there is a way... I'll try and get you in on it so you can be a supporter and be one of the first lookers. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Links to uh, to anything and everything mentioned will be, like, in the description, there'll be either links to all this or links to a web page that sure. contains all this. So, yeah, any anything, like, once that Indiegogo is live. And It'll be like on that. my Instagram for sure. Okay. My Instagram is Mac, at MaxTheDirector. My Facebook is Max Kaplan, just my name. And, yeah, you can follow me and my projects like you've heard, I'm always working on something. So if you're looking for something to watch, I'll always have something for you. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I'll be sure to, uh, to, to get that info there, but yeah, I think, uh, I don't know. I think that's about it. Thanks Riley. Yep.